0: الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو عالم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله Muhammadun Rasulullahi والذين معه Ashita'u ala الكفار Ruchama'u Bainum. When you try Rasulahu wa uli الامر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له. When you try Rasulahu wa uli الامر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له. وَمَنْ يَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ أَمَّا بَعْدْ أَيُّهَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ The issue of takfir is causing us precious lives precious time precious resources and precious potentials and the issue of takfir is turned into wars that are killing us because these people who fight Under the banner of the other Muslim is a kafir They justify that by saying the other Muslim Because he's a kafir should be killed His assets should be confiscated or repossessed And his women folk are Legal tender. This issue of takfir is an issue of fanaticism and bigotry that has no grounds in the Book of Allah nor in the teachings of His Prophet. I don't think the psychology of a takfir is peculiar to Muslims. There are other Adherents of other religions and ideologies who share the same fanaticism, bigotry, hate, and bias. If we just take a sample of the ayat in the Quran, we realize that a devout Muslim is immune To that type of fanaticism and hate Let us just visit a few of these ayat To enlighten our hearts And soothe our conscience And develop our thoughts The first ayah In Surah Al-Baqarah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, La ikraha fiddini ar rushdu minal gay. There is no compulsion, there is no force to be used when it comes to matters of lifelong conviction. Another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yuridu Allahu al yusr, wala yuridu بِكُمُ usr. This is also an ayah in Surah Al Baqarah. Allah says, Allah wants you to discharge your responsibility in a in an easy manner and not in a hard manner. Meaning, Allah wants us to perform our obligations without torture. Yuridullahu bikumul yusr wa la yuridu bikumul usr. Obviously, this ayah is in the context of fasting, but it relates to us the relationship and the psychology in which we observe our obligations. <clears throat> Another ayah in Surah Al-Kahf says وَقُلِ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيُؤْمِنْ وَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيَكْفُرْ And say al-haqq is from, from your sustainer, therefore whoever decides to commit themselves to Allah may do so and whoever decides to deny that commitment may do so another ayah speaking about al-hajj nas And you owe it to Allah to perform your pilgrimage to the inviolable house, obviously in Mecca, لمن استطاع إليه سبيلا For anyone who finds the ability to do so. A couple of hadiths in this direction, in this general direction. (inaudible) إن هذا الدين walan ولن يشاد الدين أحد إلا غلبه. This dean of Islam is a dean of ease, and anyone who tries to make it harder for themselves pertaining to the issue of this deen, then this deen is going to overwhelm and overcome such a person. Meaning you can't knock heads with these responsibilities. You accept them with your God-given and God-calculated human nature. In one of the hadiths, the Prophet says to one of the companions, You pray in an erect position That's the way we pray In our salah we stand up and we pray We are up and down But if you can't do that The Prophet is telling him فَصَلِّ And then you pray while you are sitting. And if you can't do that, you pray while you are lying down. Now, just a sample of these ayat and these hadiths, do they give anyone the idea or the behavior of being a fanatic? obviously if we understand these ayat and these hadiths we say no obviously that's not the case but the matter has always been a matter of do we want to think about these ayat and these hadiths or do we sidetrack our mind we marginalize our mind and then try to stick to what some people may call the literalist understanding of the Quran this has been an ongoing issue among we the Muslims do we want to be literal about the Quran or do we want to be thoughtful about the Quran as well as the Sunnah this has been an ongoing affair and it's not and this also issue is not peculiar to Muslims other people In other religions and in even other political paradigms, they also have this same issue. Do they want to be literal? In this country, the constitution, do you take it literally or don't you? So this issue is just a matter of do we want to work our mind or do we not want to work our mind? And then if we decide to do that do that do we want to be disciplined and do we want to be limited by Allah's and his prophet's teachings and instructions let us let us take a look a quick look once again at some of the baggage that we carry in our history one of these people now who is always quoted in the circles of takfir is Ibn Taymiyyah. What does Ibn Taymiyyah have to say about human working the human mind, thinking, reasoning? What does he have to say? He says, and he hears, he's, spe- he's speaking about philosophy, إِنَّ la al Alim وَلَا يَفْقَهُهَا الْجَاهِلُ Philosophy is not needed by a scholar and it is not understood by a novice. An easy rebuttal to that is what all of the fuqhahs of Islam have agreed upon regardless of who they are and what time frame that they were in there's a rule in Islamic fiqh that says Al-Islamu asqat taklifa ala in Islam there's no responsibility for a non-thinking person another way of in ter- uh, of translating al aqil is on a person who's insane who's not in possession of his or her sanity you know when you go to court there's the issue of sanity and insanity, well when you come into Islam there's an issue of sanity or insanity so if there's no if the person cannot think for whatever reason congenital reason Uh, Pathological reason Epidemical reason Whatever the case is There's no responsibility So the whole issue of responsibility Is contingent upon our ability to think Once again, we, we don't say this Just because there's some type of issue we're picking on a particular scholar because sometimes these issues they get lost in the in the sectarian and in the political tensions that swirl around them. No, we reference ourselves in the ourselves in the book of Allah and in the Sunnah of His Messenger. The ayah that tells us one of the we're going to just take two examples from the Quran that. Tell us that we should think. Ayat 219 in Surah Al-Baqarah, كَذَلِكَ يُبَيِّنُوا لَكُمُ الْآيَاتِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَفَكَّرُونَ It is in this manner that Allah makes evident to you His ayat. And we covered the meaning of ayat previously, whether... Allah's demonstration of power and authority are in His creation, or in the violation of the laws, in what we say is the violation of the laws of His creation, so people refer to those as miracles, or in the composition of His own words and His own revelation and book. Allah is telling us in these three areas, there's an arena for you to think. La alakum Another ayah in, at the beginning of Surah Yusuf. Inna anzalnahu Quranan Arabiyan la alakum We have made accessible to you a Quran, an Arabic Quran. So that you may reason. But what we have in our history is a baggage. We carry a baggage in our history. That baggage began to point its finger at individuals who were thinking. Some of it may have been because of ignorance. The fuqaha or those who are presented as fuqaha, along with the authorities that they answer to, began to point fingers at certain thinkers in our history. You take Ibn Arabi, the well-known Sufi. They pointed a finger of zandaka and kufr against him. His crime, in their opinion, was That he was saying things that are incompatible and disagreeable with the Qur'an and the Prophet. Obviously, in his mind and in his expressions, he wasn't doing that. The same thing can be said about another Islamic thinker, Ibn Rushd. And you can go on and on. Whether they were the types who were dealing with science, or whether they were types who were dealing with tasawwuf. Whatever types they were, they were accused of being outside of the boundaries of Islam. We'll take another quote from Ibn Taymiyyah, the person that the takfiris go running to for their answers. He says وَأَمَّا الْمَنْطِقْ فَهُوَ مَدْخَلُ الْفَلْسَفَةِ Lod, He says Logic Is the entryway to philosophy وَمَدْخَلُ الشَّرِّ shar. And The Gateway To evil Is evil Meaning The gateway to philosophy which is logic is evil both of them are evil or both of them are bad and to endeavor in teaching logic or philosophy or in learning logic or philosophy was not one of those things that was permitted by al-sharah. These are his words. And these words, if you think about them, they are contrary to the very clear meanings of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Now, this was abbreviated. Another abbreviation here has to do with Ibn Taymiyyah's words pertaining to chemistry. Al-kimya Probably even though it was In its beginning stages Not as developed as it is today But he says this Wa kimya The truth about chemistry Innama hiya It's a type of equating The created Meaning Someone, when, when they begin to investigate the characteristics and properties of matter they are right now interfering with what is supposed to be strictly Allah's domain and he says وَهُوَ بَاطِلٌ فِي الْعَقْلِ and it is void it is not legitimate in the human mind He goes on, and I'm not going to finish this statement. Then Ibn Taymiyyah, the reference point of the takfiris, he says, now he's speaking about mathematics and astronomy. He says, and I quote, وَأَنَّ عِلْمَ الْرِيَاضِيَاتِ وَالْفَلَكِ كَثِيرُ التَّعَبْ قَلِيلُ الْفَائِدَةِ the science that pertains to mathematics and astronomy are very demanding with few benefits. The perfection of philosophers pertaining to natural sciences is a result of their ignorance of Allah. Someone should take a person like that to court and ask him, how do you say something? Allah tells us to investigate, to research, to discover. All of these ayat throughout the Quran speak like this and you saying, these people who are discovering and investigating and researching are because they are ignorant of Allah. This is what we have. This is some of the baggage that we Muslims carry in the world that is resulting in the tragedies that come our way in today's news. These are statements from Ibn Taymiyyah that are found in his fatwa there are volumes of his fatwas that are published this particular these particular statements are taken from volume number 29 i want to transition now because some people listening to this khutbah will have some difficulty saying that well you know look there's a there's a thing going on between Saudi Arabia and Iran and there's a Sunni Shia issue in the world. They want to fit all of this into that type of phobia. There is a uh, scholar who is the vice president of al Ittihad Al-Alami li Ulama Al-Muslimin. That is the International Association of Islamic Scholars. The, this scholar's name is Ahmed Al Faqih Ahmed Al Raisuni. He happens to be from Morocco. Recently, <clears throat> he stated the following just in these past couple of days. He stated the following this doesn't come this comes from the vice president of the international association of islamic scholars he says the following i'm gonna, i'm going to just translate because of the time factor the islamic movements he's talking about the islamic movements in today's world are very similar to the arabian regimes The similarity is in their fear of freedom. The Islamic movements and the Arabian regimes, they fear people having freedom. Some of the officials or some of the decision makers in these Islamic movements consider themselves the guards of the temple. He says, there is a sterility, عقمن. there is an infertility in Islamic fiqh. Why? He says, because of the dictatorships in, in Muslim countries. He went on to say that these dictatorships are responsible for germinating the extremists and the fanatic fanatics in and from these Islamic movements. He go further goes on to say that. A contributing factor to the problems of the Islamic movements of our time is their ignorance of history and the lessons to be learned from that history and he goes on to say even the contemporary history of the Islamic movements is not written by the Islamic movements and if there's anything written by the Islamic movements about their own movement it is in the sense of glorifying the movement or being apologetic about it it's not an objective approach to register and record the ups and the downs the corrections and the mistakes that these Islamic movements endured. These Islamic movements are afraid of freedom of expression and freedom of criticism. Take this, these are words of truth or else I would not have extracted them and come to you with them in in this khutbah. Take these words and apply them to any islamic organization islamic movement islamic association islamic setup take this think about what he says in the context of these types of islamic movements in the world today political despotism dictatorship is the center of the problems out of which we have the sufferings that are costing us dear lives and precious resources and time aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfiru allaha wa lakum ud'uhu subhana wa antum ala yaqinin bil ijabah wa tubu ila allah غافر الذنب وقابل التوب شديد العقاب وإليه المصير الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى (laughs) لكافة الأمم محمد النبي وعلى آله وصحبه brothers and sisters if we don't think and that's they condition us when we go into these masajid we go to these Islamic centers they deliberately condition us not to think. So if we don't think, many things can happen around us and those who are getting away with murder will get away with murder. Those who are committing crimes against humanity will get away with committing crimes against humanity. Those who are involved in war crimes will get away with their war crimes because we're not thinking. It just takes the spark of our mind to make them feel that they are being pursued by some knowledge and some information. If you think, then you begin to ask. The executions in Saudi Arabia since the beginning of the year, you know, their executions are beheadings there were at least up until now from the beginning of the year until now 20 beheadings in that kingdom dare we think who are these who are being executed what are their crimes did they steal something was it that serious and if they stole something and you're killing him or her for it then how about you You the executors in your kangaroo judiciary or in your high offices. What are you stealing? Are we not allowed to enter this area with our mind? If the person who is being executed is is executed because he killed someone. How about you? Your generals. Your politicians, can't you see what you've been doing in Yemen and in Syria, just to mention two places? How many people are you involved in killing? If the Qur'an was a book to be applied to everyone, the first application would be the sword coming down on your necks. But all of this happens, all of this takes place, and the masjid is not an area to think through these issues, because they will not mention them, not from the minbar, not in a halaqah, not one-on-one. It's forbidden to speak about these issues in these types of Islamic centers. Another thing, this king of theirs, he's not an amir. he's not a khalifa, He's not an Imam. He's not a Wali Amr. He's none of them. He's a king. So he goes to China the other week, last week or the week before. And he inaugurates a library there. Call call it King Salman Library. And they say they're going to stuff it with three million books. We wonder if these books are going to be about this issue of takfir and all of this other stuff. And then he's given, you see, money buys a lot of things. This person is a king of a petro kingdom. And so they give him there in China a PhD. Are we supposed to think about this or not think about this? the United States government is appointing an American Yehudi Zionist pro colonization ambassador to the colonizing state of Israel and this person is known For his enthusiasm about fanatic Zionists building their, they call them settlements, we call them colonies, building their colonies on stolen Palestinian land. Now are we not to think for a moment, does the United States have one Muslim ambassador anywhere in the world? Does the United States have the courage to appoint a Muslim ambassador to any country in the Muslim world? If, it's, if it took one American Jew to be given an ambassadorial position in occupied Palestine, we have 57 different Muslim countries in the world, not one american muslim ambassador to any one of these countries we're not permitted to think like that we're not able we're not allowed and then these growing relations between the israeli regime and the saudi regime right now these relations are in high gear and they have writers coming To the fore and equating the Islamic system in Iran with Nazism that's the way the Saudi writers now that's the way they are writing and they're saying that the political facts I'm summarizing a bunch of their articles the political facts of our time have us, meaning the Saudi regime and the Israeli regime, in the same trench. And then they had the, the what they call the Arab summit in uh, southern Jordan. And what were they doing in that Arab summit? They were probably trying to give legitimacy to a future in which what they call the Sunni governments will find a political and military arrangement with the Zionist, or what they call the Jewish. These are their words, we're not using these words. They call certain governments Sunnis, and they call the Zionist government in Palestine a Jewish government. The governments in these muslim countries are not sunnis and the government in palestine or israel is not jewish and then the one of these visitors comes the the second to the throne He comes and he makes his visit here, and then the the comments about this is that there's been a historical transition or transformation in the policies of the Saudis and the decision makers here in Washington, D.C. Obviously, time is going to tell us what this historical change means. We're not supposed to think. They say that Ansarullah in Yemen—they call them the Houthis—they say that they are getting their weapons from Russia and from Iran, and they make, they they provide extensive quote-unquote analyses and commentaries and punditry about all of this. But they don't tell us where they're getting their weapons from. Are they getting their weapons from al-Bukhari and Muslim? Where are they getting their weapons from? But this is what happens when we are not allowed to think. And we have to clean up our history to begin to think with the discipline that comes from Allah and His Prophet. اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وارزقنا اتباعه وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ولا تجعلهم التبسا علينا واجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا وسعت كل شيء رحمة وعلما فاغفر للذين تابوا واتبعوا سبيلك وقهم عذاب الجحيم ربنا وأدخلهم جنات عدن التي وعدتهم ومن صلح من آبائهم وأزواجهم وذرياتهم إنك أنت العزيز الحكيم ربنا آتنا من لدنك رحمة وهيئ لنا من أمرنا رشدا ربنا افتح بيننا وبين قومنا بالحق وأنت خير الفاتحين ربنا اكشف عنا العذاب إنا مؤمنون ربنا صل على محمد وآل محمد ربنا صل على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم ربنا بارك على محمد وآل محمد ربنا بارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل ان الله نعما يعظكم به ان الله كان سميعا بصيرا ولذكر الله اكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون واقم الصلاه لا إله إلا the أشهد أن the رسول الله. the one who is 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 the one